Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, this morning we looked at uh, the new covenant as it mainly pertains to the children of Israel it was, as it was given in Jeremiah 31. We looked at it in Hebrews chapter 8 in comparison to the old covenant and why there was a need for a new covenant. Uh, this evening what we're going to look at is how exactly we are able to partake of this covenant and this relationship um, through Christ and how we fit into the mix. So go ahead and open your Bibles first to Isaiah chapter 53. We're just going to read two quick verses, or three quick verses from Isaiah 53. Beginning in verse 4. Speaking of the sufferings of Christ, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, I just wanted to read those quick verses to show that they come before what we're going to be going over this evening, uh, go ahead and flip a couple pages to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 through 7. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David." Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel. For he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So we have here in Isaiah a message that goes out. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. Uh, a message that's going out to anyone that would have a need. Anyone that would have a desire to come and to drink. Uh, a message that's universal. That is given to everyone. But a message that requires a response. A message that requires an action to take place. Uh, we have to come. There's a little corner market by my house. It's about two blocks from my house. And every day after work, I drive by it. And normally, I just pass by. I don't stop. I don't get out. I don't go in. Uh, I know the man there. Uh, it's run by him and his wife, Mr. Kim and Mrs. Kim. Uh, she makes wonderful sandwiches at a little deli counter that she has. And Mr. Kim runs a little store that has uh, things that you might uh, come to need that you don't want to drive all the way to the grocery store for. They have milk and eggs and 
tortillas and bread, just the basics, things like that. And the last few days have been miserable. They've been so hot that um, a work day has become to feel like a 20-hour day instead of just an eight-hour day. And so on the way home, there's a sign there as you pass by, and it's a Gatorade sign, and it says thirsty with a question mark. And every day I drive by, and there's no need for me to stop. But the past two days, I've had a great need to stop and to walk into that place and get a Gatorade. Uh, I could have picked any drink that I wanted, but the sign was for Gatorade, and so a Gatorade is what I chose. Uh, the point of that little illustration is just to show that most of the time I have no need to stop. I have no need to go in, and that sign I probably wouldn't even notice. Um, but on a day that is really hot, on a day that I have a need uh, that needs to be satisfied, that I'm thirsty, I pull over and I go in and I purchase that which satisfies. We're going to see really a couple, three main reasons why people refuse the gospel of Christ as we study this um, pre-offering of the new covenant here. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money. You would think that that first portion, come ye to the waters, okay, that have been invited to come, and more than likely I can come and I can have water. Um, that water is going to be offered, and if it's from the river, then you know nobody really has a, a stake on the river. I can come and I can take. And he that hath no money, come ye. Okay, I don't have any money. I'm still going to come. Buy and eat. Well, if I have no money, how am I going to buy something? That's the question. If I have no money, how am I going to buy something? Buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So all of a sudden it goes from I'm going to just, okay, I'm going to go down to the waters and I'm going to get some water to not only am I going to get some water, I'm going to eat, I'm going to get wine, and I'm going to get milk, and I don't have to have any money. All of a sudden, this sounds kind of like a shady deal. Um, in the world today, whenever you have somebody that invites you out to somewhere, uh, the, the, the ones that are famous for this are the timeshares. Uh, how many people own a timeshare? Don't raise your hands, but think of a timeshare. Uh, they come, they say, you know what? We're going to give you a lunch, and we're going to give you two tickets to such and such, and you don't have to do a thing. And really, the whole deal is them trying to uh, move and shake it to purchase the timeshare so that they can get your money. And so immediately, in our world, the guard goes up. Uh, somebody's offering me something. They say I don't have to pay. Immediately, I, I don't believe them. I, I doubt that this is true. The only people that will respond are the people that are desperate. People have no option. They got no choice. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I have no money. The only choice I have is to take God at his word and to come. I've exhausted everything else that I have. And the problem that we have is uh, we don't really know too much of what it is like to be in need or what it is like to have a desperate want that is a means to sustain us. Uh, we wonder why the gospel is going out to the far reaches of the earth and these third world nations. Uh, it's not a very big surprise. They understand what it is to need and not have. So we have here in this beginning an, an invitation that's going out. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Twice it encourages them to buy something. 
but we know that it's not going to require uh, money of any kind. But we see that a transaction takes place. This isn't something that's just a free-for-all. This is something that a transaction takes place where somebody comes and then is somebody receives. This isn't just a, everyone that comes just gets. Uh, twice they are exhorted to buy something. Uh, we see that three times they are exhorted to come. Uh, this is a very persistent message that's going out. And we know that wine speaks of joy. We know that milk speaks of that which nourishes, that which helps grow. And it's often referred to the milk of the word of God, that which helps us to grow spiritually. Uh, so we have in this instance wine, milk, and something that we're going to eat. Verse 2, so we have an invitation. In verse 2, we have questions. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. So the first question, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? Uh, I look at this as kind of a person that has some wealth, a person that has uh, some money to spend. Uh, we see that people can inherit enormous amounts of riches, and they don't often spend the money on things that are required to sustain their body. Uh, they're spent on pleasures. They're spent on things that they enjoy doing, and often we would look at it and say, a waste. Uh, they've had the money and they waste it on things that they think make them happy, but something that they continue to have to do. They continue to have to spend. And so the question goes out, why do you spend money for that which is not bread? Because um, it makes me happy. I don't know. It makes me feel good. It's what I like to do. First, the second question, and your labor for that which satisfieth not. I look at that as a, a poor man. Uh, I don't have money that I can just go and spend. I have to go and work to earn money. So my work is really that money that I'm spending. And I find myself working for things that don't satisfy in that sense. You've heard the you know, play on things before where you buy a car and a house and then you get a job that's an hour away that you can drive the car to work and leave the house empty so you can make money to pay for the house that you're never in and the car that you need to drive to work. Um, your labor is being spent on things just to sustain what you've created it's not actually being spent on what satisfies. So the message goes out, the questions go out, and the, the answer is really, I don't really know. I just, this is just what I do. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness or in abundance. Uh, here we're not only just being invited to come and to partake. But we're being invited to come and partake to an abundance. This isn't something that's just going to be meager rations. This is something that's going to be poured out, that's going to satisfy, that our soul will delight in. So, as I said before, why don't people come? Well, they don't feel they have a need to come. They feel that they're content, that they're happy in what they're doing. And they feel that they're satisfied enough. And what they don't understand is that their soul, in fact, is not satisfied and never will be satisfied in what the world has to offer. So this message goes out, wherefore do you spend money? 
or your labor. Uh, we have on the wall behind me a verse from Matthew uh, chapter 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me and I will give you rest. All the work that we do, all the things that we, we do to try to achieve a certain lifestyle, we have no rest. There's no rest. I once uh, had a friend who owned a, a big plant out in Irwindale, and they were extremely successful. Uh, this man had made a lot of smart decisions, was an older gentleman, a very close friend of my grandfather, and had done very, very well. Three of his kids, uh, two of them were drug addicts, one of them died in a drunk driving accident when he was 16. And just a miserable, miserable background story. His wife ends up leaving him. And I remember I was talking to him about business. And we were struggling at the time. And I asked him, I said, does it ever feel like the wolf's not out the door? Does it ever feel like you get to a point where it's like, I'm good now. I can relax. I can rest. And he said, no, never. This man could have finished everything he had and retired and lived, you know, 10 lives and probably been fine. But he never had that rest, never had that feeling like everything was okay. Only the Lord can offer rest. And only if we come. Verse 3. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. We have here an, another invitation to come. So not only is he going to give us wine and milk and food to eat, not only are we going to have enough that our soul is delighted in fatness, but if we come, if we hearken to him, he is going to make an everlasting covenant with us. The sure mercies of David. And we've looked at the Davidic covenant, and uh, this is really referring to that, the Davidic covenant of um, basically the fact that David's seed would sit on the throne and would reign in Jerusalem forever, that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. We see that the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that promise to David. Uh, but in that promise... The other things that we see is that after the covenant is made, David commits some grave sins. Uh, we think of the sin with Bathsheba, adultery, and we think of the sin with Uriah, murder. Uh, two sins that were both punishable by death. Um, we see that God showed mercy to David and that he did not kill David. And we see that throughout all the generations after David, all of the kings that led wicked lives, that brought sin into uh, Israel, we think of the fact that they had to be led captive, the fact that they were brought back and they were disciplined and now they're under Roman rule at this later dates. All of these things that take place, but God was merciful. God was not going to remove his promise that he had given to David. And so this is what he's offering. He's offering us the sure mercies of David, that no matter how we go about and may offend God, that God will be merciful to us. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people. This is Isaiah 55.4. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. 
Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. So we have this statement of what's going to take place. Um, We know the way that Israel looked at the nations. Uh, We know the way that the Jews thought of other people. Um, Everyone else was a heathen, and they were the chosen people. But we see here that there's going to be an instance where People are going to be running unto them. People are going to be running unto them because of the Lord, because of the Holy One of Israel. In verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Uh, This is another invitation to seek after the Lord. We see that in that sense, we have to mean business. This isn't something that we're just going to really stumble upon. Uh, going about our daily life, and all of a sudden we walk up and, you know, there's the Lord. Um, This is something that we're going to have to really be serious about. While he may be found, infers that there's a time when you might go looking and he can't be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Now is the time to call upon the Lord. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Here's another reason why people don't come to the Lord. Forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. When you present that to somebody, the immediate reaction is, my life is pretty good. I have no need to forsake. I'm not a, a murderer or a rapist. I'm not going off and just committing crime after crime. Yeah, maybe I have some evil thoughts in my mind, or uh, you know, maybe I'm not too honest in, in business or in school, or maybe I cheat on my tests or whatever it is, but I'm not that bad. And I really can't give that up, because if I give that up, how am I going to succeed in life? Because what the world teaches you is that in order to succeed in life, there's a necessity to do what's best for you in every situation. Uh, To always think of yourself first. Put yourself in a position to succeed, you have to remove all obstacles that could bring you down. Uh, None of this business about um, being honest all the time and doing the will of the Lord, following his commandments, uh, that's going to get you into trouble. Because eventually you're going to get caught doing something, and you're going to have to pay for it. So one of the reasons we see is people don't have a need. They feel that they don't have a need. They don't want to give up uh, what they're doing. An evil person would say, I can't give up what I'm doing. Uh, This is something that brings me great joy, something that brings me great pleasure, and I'm not going to give it up. Uh, the uh, The prideful group is the one that says, I'm not really that bad. Um, my works aren't that unrighteous and my deeds aren't that wicked but nevertheless this is the offer that goes out the offer is to those that are thirsty the invitation is to come and God will provide all of these things that a transaction takes place but it's not money that's exchanged the question is how does this all tie into what we've been looking at as far as the new covenant goes We saw in Hebrews chapter 8 a comparison between the Old and the New Covenant, why the New Covenant was necessary, 
we see that it was a covenant made with the children of Israel and that it will be fulfilled ultimately in that millennial kingdom with the children of Israel. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. This is going to be speaking of the failure of the old covenant. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins? But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written to me, of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst thou pleasure in which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So we see the law was a shadow of the good things to come. We went over that in Hebrews chapter 8 this morning. And it says that all the sacrifices that they offered could never make the ones that were coming perfect. There was always a remembrance of sin. Every year they gathered together at that day of atonement and they would have to remember all of their sins. They would have to lay them out. And every year after that they would continue to come and to remember their sins and remember their sins. The question is, in verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? If those sacrifices could take away all this sin, then you would have no longer need to offer them. Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. And then it goes back to a reference that speaks of the truth of God's character. Uh, sacrifice and offering is not what God uh, was after. But a body hast thou prepared me. And we see that there was an appointed time when the Lord would come. That God wasn't going to just continue in this process of the people constantly being in sin and remembering their sin and continually offering and continually being separated. God's plan was that he would have a relationship with the people that he chose and chose that they chose him, that it would be one of a loving, faithful relationship. 
That's God's plan. So in this point, the only one that could take away sin was the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. The only thing is, he would have to send his son from heaven to earth to live a perfect life and to offer himself up as an offering for sin. He would have to give his life. And we saw that in Hebrews chapter 9, that without the death of the testator, there's no effect of the promises that are put into place. So it says, this was planned. I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Read my mind. Thank you. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Uh, again, we look at the fact that uh, years from the time that Hebrews was written, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. Uh, there was no more ability that they had to go in and to offer for sins. Um, the temple was destroyed. The, the people were taken captive and scattered again. And we see that even today, though uh, the Jewish people have returned to the land, there is no tabernacle, there is no offering system. So the first has been taken away, and the second one has been established. Verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Looking back on being uh, raised Catholic, um, Twice a year it was given that you would come and you would confess your sins to a priest. Uh, you could go more often than that if you were a sinner, but um, it was your duty to go twice a year, once at Easter and once at Christmas time. And you would go and you would you know, lie about the fact of, that you weren't that bad a sinner and you would just make some stuff up more than likely. There was a couple of sins that you would definitely confess and, and rehearse, but uh, most of the time... Uh, you still wanted to look good <laughs> in the eyes of the priest, so you didn't tell him everything. After that, he would go and he would send you into the room and he would say, pray um, this many Hail Marys, this many Our Fathers, and uh, think on those things. You say, okay. Well, you go and you do it and nothing happened. <laughs> you still had this issue. And yet, every Christmas and every Easter, we were back there. Why? I have no idea. It's routine. It's comfortable. It's what you get used to. This idea of ritual, this idea of doing things that make you think you have peace with God, that somehow speaking to this priest and praying these prayers uh, relieved any burden of sin upon me, uh, to continue to have to do that. But you get in a mindset that you just continue. You just keep going. And in this portion here, um, this is the offering that Christ has done it all. There's no more need for all this. There's no more need for the ritual. There's no more need for these offerings. Christ has fulfilled these things. We can, we can enter into the most holy of holies, to the presence of God, before only the high priest on one day could go in. Christ has made the way open to the presence of God. Why would you go back? Why would you go back and continue to offer these things? I can't do anything for you. And the answer is just because that's what I know. That's what I'm comfortable with. So it points it back to Christ at this point in verse 12. 
But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. It's a one-time deal. It's been finished. Uh, oftentimes you run into people and there's, um, there's doubt. Um, I was of the belief that I would have to live my life and I would have to die and then I would be judged. And I couldn't know for sure if I was saved because I hadn't lived my full life. And you see, I wouldn't know if maybe I went wayward when I got older and uh, God wouldn't let me into heaven. There was no assurance. There was no peace. There was no rest. I wasn't looking at the Lord. I was looking at myself. The message of the gospel is this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, has paid it, has done it. He's completed the work. He's been judged for sin. You can have forgiveness. And you say, well, you know, I'm not really that bad, but if I get to a point where I get bad, then, you know, maybe I'll trust Christ. But you ought to go down to the prison down there because there's a lot of men down there that would really appreciate what you have to say. You think it goes to somebody else. Verse 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. This is a quotation from Jeremiah 31. But there's a couple things that aren't in there. Uh, Jeremiah 31 has a reference that it's directly to Israel and Judah. And we see no specification in Hebrews chapter 10. Also, the promises of uh, the bringing up of the old covenant and now the new covenant and all these different things, none of that's in there either. This is just an offering. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. This is a covenant that's free to all. This isn't just limited to a specific group of people. So this is where we get our biblical proof of the fact that why we can partake of this new covenant. Verse 18, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. There is nothing more we need to do to come into this relationship. The work has been done. When we think of Isaiah 55, the message has gone out. After Isaiah 53, the message of come to the waters, to buy without money, without price, to buy and to eat, to delight our souls in fatness, that we would find rest, that we would have the sure mercies of David. In case you think that maybe that was just a message in Isaiah and maybe it's for a future day, go ahead and turn. Well, don't turn there. I'll turn there. We all know these are familiar portions. John 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus answered, he's speaking to the woman at the well. We remember that the woman at the well is a Samaritan. Uh, she, she's uh, not of the house of Israel and Judah. Uh, we see that she is a woman that has had um, five husbands. She's living with a man that is not her husband. And now she has gone to the well uh, in the middle of the day, so as we assume not to draw ridicule um, from anyone else. And we see that the Lord has arrived, uh, 
a Jew walking through Samaria, and the disciples have gone into town to buy supplies that they need. And so this woman meets Jesus, and the Lord asks her for a drink, and they get into this conversation. Verse 13, it says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. This is something that the Lord gives, something that comes from him. We see that it is something that you need to come and you need to ask. If you would have asked, I would have given it to you, he says. In John 7, verse 37, this is uh, the time of the, tab- or the Feast of Booths. Uh, all of uh, the Jews are there. He's, he's around the temple. And he says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. An invitation to come and to be satisfied, to come and to drink. In Matthew chapter 26, in a covenant you have a person that promises. We see that in this case it's God that's doing the promising. We see that the recipient, based on the verses we've read, is anybody that would come. He's willing to give it to anybody that would come unto him. That's the recipient. We see that the promises are uh, the law of God in our hearts and in our minds. We see that it is uh, an abundant pardon that we receive the sure mercies of David and that we have access to God. Those are the promises offered. We see that there are no conditions. There is no if you do this. We see the old covenant was under a covenant relationship where if the children of Israel were obedient, they received blessing. If they were disobedient, they received cursing. There is no conditions for this covenant. We will see in this passage that the mediator of this covenant is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. Uh, God didn't speak directly with the children of Israel. God spoke with Moses, and Moses relayed the message to the children of Israel. So Moses was the mediator in the same sense, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be our mediator. The Old Covenant had a sign that was given to them. The Sabbath day was given to them for a sign of the relationship they had entered into with God, that if they were obedient, God would give them rest. And on the seventh day, they would rest from all their work. In this, we're going to see a sign as well. The setting of the Old Covenant was Mount Sinai. We see that it was thunders and and the earth was shaking and lightning was going on and it was just a terrifying sight so much so that the people were afraid to even speak directly with God Uh, it was terrifying God wanted to instill in them what they were getting involved in we see that the setting for this announcement of the covenant being enacted is on a night that our Lord was betrayed when he was eating with 12 men Um, his disciples, and we see that the one that goes to betray him is there with them. Uh, That's the setting of this covenant. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to the disciples and said, 
Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In that short verse, we have in the Old Testament that was enacted a sacrifice that was made. And the blood of that uh, bull with cedar and hyssop and scarlet wool was sprinkled on the, the tables of stone, was sprinkled on the people, and they said, all that God saith we will do. In this portion here, this is a symbol of what's about to take place. He's going to give his body an offering for sin. His body is going to be beaten. It's going to be torn open. Uh, we read about it in Isaiah chapter 53. Um, that's just going to be the physical part. But then he's going to be judged for sin by his father, by his God. And as he's on the cross and his blood is shed, that is the blood of the new covenant that seals everything that's been put in place. So as we get together on the Lord's day to remember the Lord, we remember him and his person and his work and uh, his character. And as we take the cup, it is a symbol of the new covenant in his blood that we are partakers of it. Um, that's why it says, you know, take this as often as you do. You show forth my death until I come. So all of the offerings of Isaiah chapter 55 go out to all people from the point that Christ died until the end when Christ comes back. This is an offering that goes out. Revelation 21. This is when uh, the Apostle John is uh, receiving a vision of the new heaven and the new earth. 21.6 And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And turn the page to Revelation 22, verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Do we take the time throughout the day to remember the relationship that we have with God? When you think about it, God had no need of us, and we bring nothing to the table for God. Uh, Joe Reese has said it a number of times where he says, sometimes we get the feeling that uh, God is glad to have us on his team, that somehow we bring some value to the team. But really, we miss the truth of his character. The symbol of the new covenant being the blood of Christ himself really shows forth the grace of God. Uh, we've seen in Noah the preservation. We've seen in Abraham this need of relationship in the law that shows forth God's righteousness in the land covenant, showing the faithfulness of God in the Davidic covenant, the mercy of God. And in this new covenant, we have the grace of God. 
all of these things that God has that he wants to bless us with, that we come in to partake with. Things to keep in mind as we continue to invite people to the Lord. This is an invitation that goes out, an invitation to all that are thirst. There are a lot of people in the United States that uh, don't feel they're very thirsty. Uh, they don't feel that there is a need to come. We need to show them that there is a need. Uh, we need to have a love for them to, to make sure that they understand uh, really the position that they're in. Uh, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And the difference is there's those that come to the Lord and there's those that don't. Um, an opportunity we have to give thanks for the relationship that we have with God, that we can come into his presence at any time. The way into God's presence has been made open by the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ and this covenant relationship that we have, the sure mercies of David. There's nothing we can do to get away from an abundant pardon, uh, to be thankful that God is a God that loves us in spite of us, uh, that he will continue to bless. Uh, we're going to go ahead and, and close in prayer, and we'll be meeting next door uh, to wish Jane well on her uh, trip to Park of the Palms this Friday. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank thee for all thou hast done for us, Father, knowing that we were unable, uh, knowing that at times and most of the time we were unwilling, thou hast purchased us with the blood of thy Son. Father, sending the best you had that he would die in our place because there was no hope for us in, a, in and of ourselves. Uh, Father, we were enemies with thee going away but you have brought us nigh by the blood of your Son. Uh, we pray for many more to come to Christ. Uh, we pray that we would preach a clear gospel to those that are lost and to those that are perishing, uh, that we would invite them, uh, that you will abundantly pardon. This time we also give thanks for the refreshments next door. We pray for uh, Jane as she's uh, relocating to Park of the Palms in Florida. We know that thou goest with her and will continue to bless her. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.